I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember this. Jesus Christ has done all that he knows how or what was required by coming into the world and dying on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world so that we could have eternal life and go to heaven when we die. Now, he's done everything he needed to do. And God wants everybody to hear the truth because he wants all of us to be with him for all eternity. Now, believe it or not, there's thing called roadblocks. If you drive down the highway, sometimes there'll be a roadblock and you've got to go around it to slow down. Bridges out, roads out, you know, all kinds of things that can happen. With the Lord, see, God wants you to know the truth so bad that God has put roadblocks in your way. A church can be a roadblock to a person that's on the way to hell. When you're on your job and you simply give somebody a track, that's to get somebody to stop, to listen. God wants to say something to you. When they go out Friday night soul winning, that's like a roadblock. God is trying to get people to stop and listen to what he has to say. That's why the Reformers Unanimous is so important. And Awana is so important. And Sunday School is so important. The radio ministry is so important. All those are roadblocks on people on their way to hell. And we are trying our dead level best to influence as many people as we possibly can while we have time. So yes, God is concerned and God will put some good roadblocks in the way of the lost man. So, let's reverse it. Let's think about there's a place called hell, and there is. There is a literal fire burning hell. Let's say, for example, here you are, you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and your one desire is that you want to put these good roadblocks up in the way so you can reach people and get them to stop and to listen. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And a lot of people don't hear. They're so busy doing so many things. So we're always trying to find an opportunity. So if you decide you are going to serve the Lord and you want God to use you to help people to see, to be one of these roadblocks for those people that are lost and on their way to hell, if I'm the devil, I'm not, but if I was the devil, I would want to put roadblocks, bad roadblocks, in your way. Now I am the devil and I'm going to try to put things in your way to keep you from doing something that you ought to do. So my roadblocks, the devil's, are bad roadblocks. God's are good roadblocks. Because, see, God has something he wants people to stop and hear and to listen. Because he got some good news. See, the devil was going to do everything he possibly can. I have seen so many people who dedicate their life to the Lord and they want God to use them in a great way. And they want to do something with their lives. And you'd be surprised how many... All of a sudden, roadblocks will come up in their way to stop them from doing this or doing that. And you don't understand, well, why did this have to happen? And I've seen kids that, when I was in Bible school, and we decided, we're going to reach the world for the Lord. And I've seen one after one that, you know, because of certain things that would happen. And even when we left Bible school, and over the years, watching different people, and things get rough, it gets hard. 
And Satan puts up roadblocks all over the place. And it stops and holds a person back. And it breaks your heart when you see that. Whenever we saw the little girl at the hospital, and it was such a joy to see her. And now to see something that's happened that might take her home. It, it breaks your heart. Men, Peter was in the office just a while ago, and Betty told us the news. So right then and there, we had prayer for him. And I have to admit, I couldn't stop from weeping. Well, neither could Peter. I'm going to tell on him just as if I could tell on me. Because it breaks your heart to see somebody hurting, a little child. But, you know, as we concerned about one person, even though she said she trusted Christ as Savior, she'll go to heaven. Think about all the people that's never heard. And Satan is doing everything he can to keep you from telling people how to have eternal life. And he will use all kinds of excuses. They'll always be justified of why you can't do it, why you never talk to anybody. I was reading an article that was just sent to me in the paper. And it says that 2% of the people in the majority of churches witness. Only 2% of the people in the church ever tell people how to have eternal life. That means almost 98% of the people never tell anyone about the Lord. See, Satan is putting roadblocks in your way. And there's always something that comes up. Something will always happen. And it will break your heart. And one day we'll have to give an account to the Lord. But I want you to look there in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Think of those words, which have no hope. There's people have no hope. See, we have our hope as in the Lord, and it's as sure as can be. But there's some people have none. In verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Our look up here. This is where we are in this period of time, called the church age, the time of grace. It's between the day of Pentecost and what we call the rapture. So we're in this period of time. It's lasted for 2,000 years. And the Bible tells us that there's people who have already passed away, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So they are in heaven with the Lord. And the Bible says when Christ comes back in the air, he's going to bring them with him. So when he comes back in the air to get the rest of us and we'll be gathered together unto the Lord... It makes this statement there in verse 18. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. God wants his children to know this truth. He said this brings great truth and great comfort. God doesn't say I'm going to stop letting people die. I'm just not going to let people die. No, people are going to die. People are going to fall asleep. And people are going to be separated and you're going to be hurt, and there's going to be the loneliness, and the emptiness, and the despair, and all those things. God knows what you and I have to suffer and go through, and He'll let it happen anyway. Now, we might think God doesn't love us because of that, but He does love us. He does care. And He knows how we think. He knows how we feel. knows what we go through. knows all of our fears, our anxieties, all those things. God knows it all. But He says, comfort one another with these words. 
Now, in the next chapter, chapter 5, he explains something so that we could understand it. But look up here first of all. I want you to know that this is what we consider to be the day of grace. This is the day of the kingdom when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom upon the earth called the Davidic millennial kingdom. Millennial means a thousand years, so this is a thousand years long. It is separated by a seven-year period of time called the Great Tribulation. Now, in the Bible, this is considered a day, and this is considered a day, and this is considered a night. What separates two days is a night. This is started the night. And we had Sunday, and then we're going to have tonight, and we'll have another day. Well, there's another day coming, and we're not there yet. You see, we're still over here, and we're almost at the end, the closing of this day that's lasted almost 2,000 years. And the Bible tells us about the coming of Christ. He says here in verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Or look up here. The day of the Lord is talked about in the book of Isaiah, chapter 8, I believe it is, where it talks about Christ coming to the earth in power and in great glory, and every eye will see him. This is when he's come back and he is revealed. That's why it's called the revelation. Over here, it is the rapture. This is when he comes for his people. This is when he comes with his people. Here he comes in the air, and we're caught up to meet the Lord. And here he comes to the earth, and his feet will touch upon the Mount of Olives, and it will cleave in the mist. This is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Understand that if this is true, and if it's close, the worst period of time in all the world lies right ahead of us. Look at the world today. And the people of the world are scared to death because they have no hope. They don't have any answers. They can't solve the problems. And it says men's hearts failing them for fear, seeing the things that are coming upon the earth. And this is where we are. Because, you see, there can be no peace without the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. I don't know if America will, you know, escape God's judgment, but I do believe America is going to be judged. I believe that when that happens, I would like to be out of here first. And I'm sure you probably think and feel the same way. So we often think, Lord, just keep us free till the rapture. But I do look forward to the Lord coming. And look what he says in verse 3. For when they shall say, peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Or look up here. When they, these are those of the night. We are of the day. And you'll notice as he goes through here, he's talking about two groups of people. Us, we, they, them. And so... When they shall say peace and safety, that's the first half of the, first of the tribulation period. And then sudden destruction cometh upon them, and they shall not escape. So that means 
we will escape because they won't escape. So the opposite of that is we will. We will not go into the tribulation period. I don't believe one second of the tribulation period. I believe that the rapture takes place as what we call it a pre-tribulational position. Pre-trib is before the tribulation. Pre-millennial means before the millennium. Christ comes back here. So that's what we believe. That's what I believe. So in these scriptures, it makes this statement there in verse 4. He says, But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So we know that if the thief in the night was the rapture, then the thief would overtake us. But we're not of that period of time where the thief gets us. This is when this happens. The, the tribulation period itself is almost like a thief in the night. But it's referring to when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period. Now, he also explains a few other things to us, but I want you to see this in verse 5. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober to discern the times in which we live. So you see, we are the children of the day. They are of the night. And there's another day coming. But this day and this moment here doesn't come until, first of all, there is a catching away, a departure of the children of God. Now, look what he says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look there in verse 10. In verse 10, it makes this statement talking about Christ when he comes back, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep. So in this period of time, whether we are alive, awake, or if we die, look what he says. You ought to underline it. We should live Together with Him. So this is another verse that I like to use to let people know that I will still be me and you will still be you. And we, whether we are here or there, we're all going to be together one day with the Lord. And so we are to comfort one another with these words so that we know and we understand. This is just the dressing room. We're just getting ready for eternity. In the Old Testament, it puts it this way. Prepare to meet thy God. Prepare to meet thy God. Now, take your Bible and look there in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. And look in chapter 2. Now, we know that Christ is going to come back to the earth. And when he comes back to the earth... He's going to come back in flaming fire, flaming vengeance. See there in verse 8 of chapter 1, first of all, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not or don't believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now there's two things that you and I want and God wants us to know and to have. He wants us to see and to behold 
His glory. And He wants us to live in His presence. Isn't that some of the two great desires? We want to see God and to be with God for all eternity. But it's because we believe the gospel. We believe that when God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and He died on that cross, He paid for all of my sins. That's why I made all of this in red, because it was the blood of Christ from the very beginning all the way to the end. And only by faith in what Christ did, that He shed His blood for our sins on that cross, died and was buried and came back again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and we say He's coming again. Now we say we believe that. What you really believe will affect the way you live. If this truth, these truths, if it doesn't affect the way you live, then maybe you don't really believe it. Because don't you believe He could come at any moment? Nobody can make you godly. Nobody can make you spiritual. Nobody can make you take these things to heart, and nobody can make you change your life. There has to be something on the inside of you that says, I believe this, and I want more. And I don't want to be ashamed before the Lord it is coming. So look there in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him. Or look up here. Most Bible teachers believe that this is the gathering unto Him. But this day won't come until this day happens first. And so that's why we believe there in verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled uh, by spirit or by word as from us, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. This is not going to come until, first of all, this takes place. And you'll notice what he says here in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a fallen away first. That means, I believe, a catching away. This day will not come until this happens. You see, this is the ending of one day, and this is the beginning of another day, and it refers to that day. When it says this day, it's talking about us, this, that is them. At another time. So he makes this statement here. That day shall not come except there come a fallen away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So the man of sin is the Antichrist who goes into the tribulation period. He goes into the temple and claims himself that he is God. That is the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When the Antichrist stands in the holy place, mentioned in the book of Matthew in chapter 24 and verse 15. But it's a reference all the way back to the book of Daniel in chapter 9 and verse 27. So when the Antichrist, the man of sin, reveals himself here. So it's possible that we might be able to find out who he is. But in all reality, we will be gone three and a half years before he's revealed to the earth, the people. We may know before that time, but there's no guarantee that we will. And sometimes we'd like to try to figure out who we think it is. And, uh, I know some people think it's Jay, and some people think it's John Kent, and some people thought, think it's uh, you know, James back there. But you and I know it can't be us. Why? Because when the rapture takes place, we're out of here. So it can't be none of us. So maybe it's Fred Pena. We don't know. See, we don't know who it is. 
But we know that one day that will happen. He is going to be revealed before Christ is revealed. Now look what he says here in verse 4. The man of sin that comes, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we know that one day somebody is going to claim that he is God and go into the temple in Jerusalem. So that means the temple will have to be rebuilt. Somewhere along the line we know there has to be some kind of a treaty made that will give Israel the right to exist, the right to the land, and the right to rebuild their temple. So we don't know how it's going to materialize, but only that it has to, somewhere along the line. Isn't it amazing that out of all the nations on the earth, God says, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone to all the nations in the world. Isn't it amazing that it is? It is a troublesome stone. Nobody knows what to do with Israel. And look at all these Muslim countries. And their one goal is to destroy Israel. And what has Israel done to them? Nothing. Israel hasn't done anything to them. And they want to destroy them. They hate them. Like I mentioned this morning, I preached this sermon on Sunday on the radio. Mama, don't let your son grow up to be a terrorist. It was really a word to the Muslim mothers. You love your children. Don't teach them the Koran. But I don't think it's going to go over very good. But I still thought I would say that. But look what he says here in verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And many believed that he was there about three weeks, and he had taught them all these wonderful great truths. And then we know that he told them those things in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and now, lo and behold, he's teaching all these young believers, young believers, all these great truths. See, the apostle Paul really knew the Word of God, and he would teach the Word of God. And he expected something to happen in their life because of what they knew. He says in verse 6, And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. What is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed in his time? This over here. When God takes his people out of this world. See, we are the salt of the world. We are the light. We are the light that God has put in this world, and we are to be those roadblocks of those people who walk in darkness. Every one of us are like little lights in this dark world. And one day God's going to take it all out, and the world's going to get mighty, mighty dark. And he says when this happens, in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Now, you have the phrase mystery of godliness mentioned in the book of Timothy. The mystery of godliness is where God became flesh and dwelt among us. So, that is what happened there. The mystery of iniquity, we believe, is Satan manifested in the flesh. So, Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh and here we have the Antichrist, who is going to be Satan, manifested in the flesh. Whether the Antichrist is of the seed of Satan, or just someone that yields himself to his authority, whatever it is, 
This man is the son of perdition. He is going to be destroyed, but he's going to do a lot of wicked stuff. And that's why this is called the Great Tribulation. The last part of the Tribulation period is the worst part of time that the world has ever known. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, the Bible states that if God does not intervene, and he's talking there in Matthew 24 about the coming of Christ. He says, then there'll be no flesh will be left alive. That's how bad it's going to get in this world. So he sees in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, it makes the statement there in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now hindereth will hinder. Those words letteth, will let. See, there are certain words in the King James that are not wrong at the time it was used and put. It was the perfect word at the time. But as time has gone on after 400 years, words have changed their meanings. And so you can't say and you don't say and I don't say that the translators were wrong. They used the wrong word. No, they didn't. They used the right word. It's just that the words have changed their meaning. And so now we just simply say what well, this word means. But I don't say, you know, they made a mistake and it was a bad translation. I don't believe it's a bad translation in that. I don't think I am qualified to sit in judgment on the King James Version. I'm not that intelligent that I can go against the wisdom of all those people that God used to put this thing together. I'd have to know more than what they know. But anyways, we're moving right along. It makes a statement here. Now, he who now hindereth will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And we believe that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. When we're taken out, there's nothing to hold it back. And the devil is going to have his free reign to do whatever he wants to do. And, buddy, he's going to do it. Now, look what he says in verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, get the order. We are taken out, and then that wicked will be revealed. And look at the next part of it. That wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of what? His coming. So when he comes here in brightness and glory and power, it's Christ and the revelation. When he comes back here, he is going to destroy this. This is the stone cut out of a mountain without hands. Mentioned over there in the book of Daniel in chapter 2 and verse 43 and 44. So Christ is going to come back. During this period of time, the Antichrist is going to rule. He is the wicked one whom the Lord will come back after he is revealed. So you see, you, can't, you get the order out of here and you mess everything up. Everybody messes this thing up. Majority of people that really know the truth of the scriptures, they, they teach it the same way I teach it. You can study most you know, prophetic uh, teachers. And most of them will lay it out the, pretty much the same way that I have. And then look there in verse 9. Even him whose coming is when? After the working of Satan. With all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. So Christ's coming in power and great glory and brightness is after this, when he comes for us, he comes in the air, and we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's a totally different time. We are of this period of time, 
they are of this period of time, and they are of this period of time. And these are two days separated by night. And that's why he comes as a thief in the night, not in the day. It's a different period of time. And notice what the devil does during the tribulation period. See then verse 9, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all, get this, all power, signs, lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Aren't you amazed? Aren't you amazed at how ignorant the majority of the people are in America that can put somebody in place of leadership in the country and they have no clue about the individual and how easy it is for people to be deceived. The person they put there doesn't bother me. It's the idiot that did it because it's over half of America that don't understand what's going on. Blind as a bat. You can change a man in the White House, but how do you change a hundred and or so million people's minds? And if we don't take their children back, we cannot preserve our country because there'll be the next generation coming up. Do you understand the seriousness of the situation? All those Occupy Wall Street crowd, those are going to be your leaders one day. They're going to be running this country someday. Isn't that wonderful? Do you like what you see? That's because people don't have a direction. They, they're like on sand. And people are shifting back and forth. They don't have any solid something to hang on to. That's why you and I who know the Bible and know the truth, we, we hang on this. We may not be able to change a lot of things in this whole world, but we believe that, you know, it, it, that it's true. And so we believe that Jesus is going to come back soon. And the world, it sure looks like it's all getting set up and people are choosing sides. Now notice why did, what, God, what, God why, why do you let this happen? This is so bad. Why do you let it happen? Because, you see, people who have rebelled against God's roadblocks, God's going to remove the roadblocks and let them just swiftly go and do whatever they want to do. And as he says here in verse 10, he says, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. See that next word, because. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. So the Antichrist, he is a liar. He is a deceiver. And why are so many people, even around the world, are going to believe this liar? Be deceived. Because they wouldn't believe the truth. You see, when you and I, when we won't believe what truth is, we will believe a lie. And this is where we have to be careful. Now look at the last part there in verse 10. For this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. You don't want to believe the truth? God will let you believe a lie. In verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So they could have believed the truth 
or they can believe a lie. But you see, the truth is being presented because, you see, God will have his prophets here. We believe 144,000 evangelists, Jewish evangelists, will be preaching. And they won't believe the truth. And then after God brings certain judgments upon the earth, especially you read chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, and it says, and the people's hearts even hardened because of it. They still would not. Does that mean God doesn't love you? God loves. But there's people who don't understand real love. And they walk in darkness. But while we can, this is what we are about, and this is what we do, is try to win who we can while we can. You and I are going to be facing the Lord real soon. The world is ripe for the rest of these prophecies to be fulfilled. Hope that helps you just uh, maybe a little bit. But if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, only those who know the Lord have any hope of going to heaven. Those who have never trusted Christ have no hope. So I have trusted Christ as my Savior. And there's a song called, My Hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. It means that my joyful anticipation rests in Him. Now, if you trust in your works to get you to heaven, then you have a lot of reasons to fear. Because if you're trusting your good deeds to get you to heaven, you'll have to live a perfect life. Nothing else will be acceptable. It'll have to be perfect. And since no one can qualify... You might need to hear some good news. And if you're watching by internet, please watch this very carefully because it's simply to explain how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God says that he loves us, and he hates our sin, but he loves us. And to pay for sin is eternal separation from the Lord. And God wants us to have eternal life and to go to heaven. But we have to be perfect, and nobody's perfect. Because of sin, we can't get in. So a man cannot save himself by his good deeds. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, and he loves his Father. And he says that the world may know that I love the Father, even so I do. I do this. Because he said, I want the world to know how much I love my Father. So he took all of the sins upon himself and paid for it on the cross and came back from the dead. And God says, if we would believe, he did it for us. He would give us as a free gift, everlasting life. And we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did. There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're watching by internet, please understand, there's nothing that you have to do. You don't have to stop anything, join anything. All you need to do is change your mind. You can't save yourself. No religion can save you. Your works can't save you. Would you believe that if you trusted Christ as your Savior, He will save you? And if you'll trust Him right now, He'll save you right now and give you the free gift of eternal life. And He'll never cast you out and never lose you. If you trust him right now, I'd like to know it. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to let me know.
by an upraised hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. You say, preacher, that made sense to me. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. So, friend, if you're making that decision, you're trusting Christ as your Savior tonight for the first time. You've never done it before. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you know Christ as your Savior, would you serve him while you can? Realize how important it is. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We ask your blessings upon each person here. And Lord, there's so many that do not understand. And Lord, we don't want to be mean and hard. But Father, we're so concerned. We know that one day when we get to heaven, there's going to be so many people that will be ashamed because they didn't serve him like they should. And they're going to grieve because there's loved ones that they could have reached and they didn't even try. And Father, we know that there's a time coming when you'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. We ask your blessings upon each person here and each family. Bless our church. We've got some good people, and they love you. And bless me in Christ's name we pray. Amen.